Well, the first thing I think he would do would be to stand up and tell the truth. I mean, he had a great expression that was uh, just tell the truth and watch them scatter. So the further away the problem is, uh, the easier it is to postpone action on it. And that's essentially what we're doing. Be real. Because people in New Hampshire are really cool. I'd say get in the game. This is a problem facing your generation. You have to have a voice in the decision. Welcome to Facing the Future, brought to you by the Concord Coalition on WKXL, New Hampshire's talk radio station. I'm your host, Bob Bixby. Each week, we take a nonpartisan dive into topics related to the federal budget, the economy, and how they affect our nation's future. We'll bring you the facts and some timely commentary from policymakers, experts, and grassroots leaders from across the country. This week, we'll take a look at President Biden's ambitious policy agenda with former ambassador and New Hampshire Congressman Richard Sweat. Then we'll bring in the Concord Coalition's National Field Director, Phil Smith, for a conversation with Jace Farmer, a professor of public policy at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, who has been running the Concord Coalition's budget exercise, Principles and Priorities, with his mid-career students for the past three years. Phil and I will get his perspective on why it's important for public policy students and professionals to participate in simulations like Principles and Priorities. Well, this week, President Biden and members of his administration have been on the road making the case for their $1.8 trillion American Families Plan. The plan includes universal pre-K, for three and four-year-old children, two years of free community college, child care support, and a paid family leave program. In addition, it would expand several temporary provisions of the American Rescue Plan, such as child tax credits that were enacted in March. And it comes on the heels of the American Jobs Plan, which the administration says would cost roughly $2.7 trillion and be aimed at infrastructure. The administration claims that when considered together, the two plans, the American Jobs Plan and the, uh, and the American Families Plan, will be fully paid for over 15 years and would actually reduce deficits over the longer term. Well, as you can imagine, Republicans are having none of it and have begun to question not just the amount of new spending and the tax increases the president is proposing to pay for it, but also the broad scope of the various proposals, arguing that it is a vast government overreach. We'll discuss the policies, the politics, and the costs of it all with Ambassador Sweat right after these short messages. Welcome back to Facing the Future. I'm your host, Bob Bixby, and I'm joined by Richard Sweat, who represented New Hampshire's 2nd Congressional District from 1991 to 1995. And he also served as the U.S. Ambassador to Denmark from 1998 to 2001, and is the co-founder and CEO of Climate Prosperity Enterprise Solutions. Ambassador Sweat, welcome back to Facing the Future. Thank you, Bob. It's great to be with you, and I'm uh, looking forward to our conversation. Well, and I should also mention uh, in your list of accomplishments that you are a uh, member of the New Hampshire, the, the Concord Coalition New Hampshire Advisory Board, 
so that's right up there with being an ambassador. Well, I think I'm, <laughs> I, I don't know that I can call myself a founding member because uh, that is left to Warren Redman and Paul Songus. But uh, I was right there in the first year and back in the early 90s and uh, very pleased and proud to be a member of the Concord Coalition ever since. So that's going on almost 30 years now. Yeah, and I've been there all those almost 30 years also. And so um, so thank you for all your work over the years. OK, so President Biden has put out a very ambitious agenda, and I'd like to get your take on the policy prescriptions, the financing and the politics of it all. Uh, so let's begin with the policies. He's put out two big plans, one focused on a broadened definition of infrastructure and the other one on what's often called the care economy. And there's a little bit of overlap, I think, between the two, but, but uh, between them, it's, it's very ambitious. Well, um, yeah. yeah, I was going to say that the, the key phrase you've used or the key word is broadened. Uh, I think, you know, we're looking at a, uh, a broadened infrastructure definition. We'll talk about that, I'm sure. And, uh, I think that uh, healthcare has become part of that infrastructure, and we'll talk about that as well. So, uh, you know, it's it's a time when uh, we obviously need to put people back to work. The uh, public works projects of the 30s that uh, FDR implemented are reminiscent of what we're sensing is happening today. But we're going to have to pay the piper at some point, and that's something that the Concord Coalition is always concerned about, and I think that's an important part of the conversation. Well, let's talk about that, that broadened definition, because that really is at the heart of the political debate right now and the, the negotiations in, in Washington, because there's the traditional definition of infrastructure, which is physical assets like roads and bridges, and you can talk about water projects, and um, and now broadband, there seems to be a consensus that broadband should be added to that. Uh, and But then the argument is, well, there's also human capital, which should be considered part of infrastructure. What's your thought on that? Well, I think that the, the critical uh, thing that that needs to be considered first and foremost is where is the relationship of the public with our government? Do they trust the government? Do they believe what the government is telling them? Is that uh, relationship such that we can build a strong and productive future or is it going to cause more uh, issues, uh, more consternation, more uh, mistrust? distrust as uh, time goes forward. And I think that's something that, uh, these bills are going to have to contend with. You know, the fact that an infrastructure bill that has only about 10% of traditional infrastructure spending in it uh, is something that's going to need to be either explained or the public is going to need to come to some sort of acceptance that these new terminologies and these new approaches are acceptable. Right now, I think we're on a very edgy you know, we're on the we're on a very uh, sharp uh, edge of the sword, uh, not knowing which way to go because uh, people are are concerned that uh, all of this spending that isn't really defined by the traditional definitions 
um, is going to end up coming back and biting us in the backside, or at least our grandchildren. And that's something that uh, we have to be very concerned about. There's uh, some talk in Washington about splitting off the traditional infrastructure, which you could get to. I mean, the Republicans have a proposal of a, a, around 600 billion. Um, and that's it, it probably could go up even further. You've seen some estimates going up uh, maybe uh, 800 billion or even a trillion if you kept it into the physical infrastructure stuff. Um, do you think that it would make sense strategically to separate that bill or that portion of the, the, the plan? Well, I think maybe what makes more sense strategically is to come up with a plan where you're getting some Republican votes as well as Democratic votes. If this goes through as a completely one-sided, lopsided, well, it's not very lopsided because it's a 50-50 Senate and uh, the, the vice president cast the deciding vote. And there are only four or five votes that separate the Republicans from the Democrats in the House too. So if we continue to see a legislature that is unwilling to work cooperatively and, and is unwilling to even listen to some of the, the concerns of the opposition, I think we continue to feed this bad relationship that American voters have with their government. Having said that, we need to move things forward. We need to put people to work. We need to accomplish um, uh, some of the, the good projects and the good things that, that are there. Uh, maybe dividing these bills up, maybe separating things out, maybe picking things off and, and doing them first is the way to get this started. And that may be uh, the way to you know, ultimately build a, a, a record of cooperation, build a record of project success, build a record of promoting programs that are actually helping to establish an infrastructure that will allow, allow our economy to get back up on its feet again and, and uh, move forward is the way to go. Yeah, I think that's uh, the, the idea if they were to do that would be that they might be able to get sufficient Republican votes that you'd have a, a bipartisan accomplishment and, uh, and, and then look at the other plans, the other aspects of it, the healthcare, the, the childcare, through uh, a uh, reconciliation process where the Democrats would probably do all. I'm not advocating that. I'm saying that I, I think that, that no, that's what that's, the thinking is. That's the challenge. You know, that's the challenge. And I keep going back to the relationship of the voter with the government. I mean, if we, um, if we can't build bridges between the parties, at least we should be building bridges between government and its people uh, that it serves. And Unless and until that starts happening, I think we're going to continue to see the kind of upheaval that we've seen, the kind of uh, protests that we've seen, and quite frankly, the division that we've seen in our country's population. And that uh, is not going to be sustainable. That has to be fixed. That has to be changed. And uh, if you look at the history of the country, we've gone through pretty rough patches in the past. We either have uh, had our own problems uh, with civil war. Um, uh, and other kinds of uh, protests and, and problems, or we've contended with global, um, uh, uh, we've dealt with global wars, we've dealt with uh, global uh, um, environmental impact uh, and economic impact events. Um, all of these things have served to ultimately uh, make us 
stronger um, as we have bound together and worked together to, to uh, come through them. Um, and uh, I think that's what we've got to look at uh, as uh, the course of action that we've got to take here. Um, turning to the, uh, the, the care economy, there are a lot of proposals that are, you know, some of them are sp sprung from things that happened, uh, that uh, vulnerabilities that came out because of the pandemic. I mean, they were already there, but they were exacerbated by the pandemic. And so there are some big uh, proposals for paid family leave, uh, uh, subsidized childcare, universal pre-K, uh, uh, free uh, community college for two years, uh, extension of the child tax credit, which is a, a major ex extension. And it's, it's almost like the, um, the great society aimed at the young, where we have the great society aimed at the elderly, <laughs> took, took care of social security and, and, and Medicare. And uh, we've always observed that a lot of the federal budget goes to the elderly and not the children. This would be a, uh, this would be a major investment in children in that sense, but not a reprioritization. We'd just do a lot more. So I was wondering about your take on that, uh, the well, broadening, I've, I've actually... broadening of the scope. Sure, I've, I've had the experience of living overseas uh, for three years um, in a country that, that has many of these programs in place, has had them in place for many, many years, decades even, and that's the country of Denmark. And, you know, I think we're reaching an age where we have the ability to produce, we have the ability to um, uh, create the kind of wealth uh, within our country that could support these kinds of programs if we, in fact, um, I think, dealt with them in a very fair and equitable way. Um, uh, Denmark has come through the pandemic, has come through these difficult uh, economic times, and their economy has remained strong, and they've been able to support these programs. Uh, I think a country the size of the United States um, could only do better. Um, and, and I think unless and until we, we make equitable um, the kinds of opportunities, the and that's not to say that people deserve jobs that they can't perform. I'm, I'm talking about we have to create an equitable access to um, becoming productive members of our society. If you don't want to work, if you're going to be a slouch, that's one thing. But if, if you are someone who has the intelligence and the energy and the desire to make a productive uh, use of your time, you should be given that opportunity and you should be able to benefit by that. And I think that's something that we are still missing a little bit. I think that's part of the anger that, that we're sensing um, in you know, part of the lower middle class sectors where they feel like they've kind of been left behind. Their, their salaries haven't grown with the salaries of the rich. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, I think that there's a, a need to reward the people who really provide the, the sweat, blood, and the blood, sweat, and tears of our society, of our economy. They need to be the ones who are getting a sense of that reward as well. Turning to the financing of the whole thing, as you mentioned, that that's something that the Concrete Coalition has talked about. We, we always say that we really don't take a position between big government or small government. The idea is to pay for the size government that you choose. Yeah. So if we go in this direction of um, expanding the care economy 
uh, or at least the government's role in the care economy. Mm -hmm. What about the financing that the president has uh, put forward for that? Well, I think the biggest problem in the care economy, as you call it, um, is the fact that we very often feel like the system's gamed, that there are people who are playing in that, uh, in that economy um, who have got it rigged. You know, whether you're the, the big pharmaceuticals, um, whether you're the uh, hospitals, um, even the doctors have, have come under uh, criticism. And, and, uh, and I think that a lot of people want more transparency. They want to see where their money's going. They want to understand why um, their operation costs so much or they want an opportunity to be able to price that operation so that they can get a competitive price. And, you know, I, I think unless and until we start establishing that kind of, of confidence in what is happening in the economy, particularly the care economy, uh, I think people are always gonna be suspicious that they're being overcharged, that they're not getting the right service for the, for the money they put on the table. And uh, I think that's the first place to start. You've got to cut that down. So when, when the president <clears throat> is putting big money out there, I think he's got to also put big magnifying glasses that show us exactly where those pennies are ending up. And uh, unless and until we, we see that, it's, it's going to be hard to feel really good that you know, all that money is going to be going to you know, uh, efficient use. Uh, I want to wrap up this segment with, uh, with politics. Just the, the politics of all this and any observation uh, that you have. I know you're in touch with people from both sides of the aisle and some of your former uh -huh. colleagues. Um, sometimes it seems like, you know, we, we just uh, are going to fight for the sake of fighting. Uh, but what, how do you see this developing right now on, a, on the political front? I have uh, I, I, I first thought that I was going to give myself consolation by reading Chernow's book on Washington, A Life. Um, I thought that, gosh, you know, this is one guy who was able to, to make what has been over the years uh, a deity back into a human being. And it's you know, with the warts and all of the, the various aspects. But the, the most important thing is that he really portrays Washington as a believable human being with weaknesses and strengths and dreams and, and uh, fears and all of those things. Uh, it's one of the most detailed and, and well-balanced biographies I've ever read of Washington. The problem is, is that he existed at a time, the Revolutionary War and, and uh, the early government, the early establishment of our country back then, that was every bit as violent and as full of upheaval as we are sensing today. So I don't think this country has changed a whole lot. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we pull together under um, duress and during times of, of catastrophe, but the rest of the time we tend to be a quarrelsome people who can't figure out how to get together. And our leaders, unfortunately, um, today uh, don't understand how to integrate opposing views. And I think that's one of the big problems is our leadership. And until and unless we uh, begin to elect leaders who can stand up to one another, they can have a full-fledged disagreement, and by gosh, there are lots of things to disagree about, but at the end of the day, they can decide to figure out what to implement to get things going. That's the kind of leadership that we need that is going to pull us out of uh, the difficult period we find ourselves in.
Yeah, and it seems particularly important when you're trying to do big things, really big things, because yeah. if you try to do really big things on a 50-50 reconciliation vote, it's, <laughs> it's very vulnerable to be undone. Yeah, uh, and, you know, just to, to listen to the, uh, Washington's lament lamentations during his second term, I mean, it, you know, he was no longer um, the person in that big, you know, big position. He... Um, was uh, browbeaten and ready to go back and and uh, become uh, become his own farmer on his own uh, Mount Vernon and be done with it all. Well, that's what he did. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what he did. Uh, this is Facing the Future. I'm your host, Bob Bixby, and I've been discussing President Biden's Go Big agenda with former New Hampshire Congressman and U.S. Ambassador Richard Sweat. I'll be back after these short messages to talk about something that happens in Vegas, but shouldn't stay there. Welcome back to Facing the Future. I'm your host, Bob Bixby, and in this segment, I'm joined by Concord Coalition National Field Director, Phil Smith, and Jace Farmer, assistant professor in the uh, School of Public Policy and Leadership at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Uh, Jace, uh, Professor Farmer's uh, research interests include public finance, state and local government administration, urban affairs and issues, and public policy. He has over a decade of experience in public finance, uh, fiscal administration, and he's worked as a policy and budget analyst for local governments in Florida. In fact, his budgeting experience includes coordinating and managing the capital budget process for the city of Tallahassee. And maybe we'll even talk about that a little bit because it could be relevant to our, our uh, discussion today. What we're gonna be talking about is a budget exercise that the Concord Coalition does on college campuses and sometimes is a town hall meeting with members of Congress, and sometimes is just a civic exercise for whoever wants to participate. And it's called Principles and Priorities. And uh, it, it, people break up into small groups and, well, they become a, a congressional committee of their own, and they try to uh, see what choices they would make if they were magically elected to Congress. So, Phil, I'm going to, you've been doing this exercise with, uh, with Professor Farmer for a few years now. And so I'd, I'd want, I wanted to get your uh, perspective and his as well uh, into why we do this and, uh, and, and why he keeps having us back. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. I would say Jace is not just a glutton for punishment, but he really, really must love federal budget policy because he has hosted us every year since 2016. And that was a unique year. Uh, it actually gets back to presidential politics, which are listeners across the country, but especially in New Hampshire, will appreciate as the first in the nation primary. There are really only four or five states that are outsized at the beginning of the presidential primary and caucus process. Uh, you can name them all on one hand, right? Uh, New Hampshire, uh, Iowa, South Carolina, and of course, the all-important state of Nevada. And in 2016, when we had two titans of politics going up against each other for the presidency, uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, uh, there were four presidential and vice presidential, vice presidential debates, three presidential, one vice presidential. And the very last one that year was hosted at Jace Farmer's campus, uh, the University of Las Vegas at Nevada, UNLV. 
And so Jace was very awesome and gracious to host the Conquer Coalition out to run our budget exercise. And so that was the first year that we met. And I'll also say, Jace, coincidentally, I think that might have been the only presidential debate where even a question was asked about the federal budget uh, yeah. and about the debt and the deficit that year. Uh, so you guys were batting a thousand uh, compared to the other universities that sponsored the debates that year. So 2016 was the first year that I came onto campus there. And uh, Jason and I hosted uh, the, the budget exercise. As Bob described, this is a chance for people to kind of get their hands dirty in an experiential event where they pretend, basically assume the role of a member of Congress trying to assemble a 10-year federal budget. One of the other things, Jace, uh, that I found unique about your class is your students weren't your uh, ordinary students, right? You're not, you didn't necessarily have undergrads there. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your program and the students that we had participating uh, in our exercise? Absolutely, and thank you for having me, Bob. Um, I, as, as you mentioned, uh, I really enjoy working with the Concord Coalition. Um, our students get a lot out of this exercise, so it, it's really great um, having you all as partners in this. Uh, Phil, to answer your question, um, so our, our program is a doctoral program. So specifically, uh, the School of Public Policy and Leadership, we have two doctoral programs, a PhD in Public Affairs and a Doctorate of Public Policy. The class that Phil has been engaging with has been um, our Doctorate of Public Policy program, where instead of students getting a PhD, where they have to do a dissertation, they, they are becoming professional practitioners, if you will, studying practical research. So we're hoping that they can go out and get jobs in programs like the Concord Coalition, as opposed to working in, in uh, academia and higher education. So these students that are in this program, they are specific, specifically looking to study public policy. And, and, and we cover a broad array of issues, whether it's public finance, uh, whether it's education issues, or just general state legislative, legislative issues in general. Uh, but our students have a broad array of, of policy coverage that we, that we cover in this program. And so the class that I've engaged Phil with uh, was our, what we call our fiscal impacts class. And so basically we are studying how their po policy issues are supposed to have a fiscal impact on the, whether it's the state or the federal or the local government that they're supposed to be covering. Well, and I remember some of the standout students of the past. There was one fellow, I think, who was like the number two or the number three person at the fire department in Las Vegas, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And then this year, I had a wonderful note from a student afterwards who really enjoyed the exercise. And he was uh, in a part of an environmental regulation. In fact, if I remember correctly, I think he said he actually helps control the water levels at the Hoover Dam. Yes. yes. <laughs> so you get you really get a wide variety of people. These aren't these aren't undergraduates. These are no. people that are right. are midway through their careers and uh, really engaged. And, and I and I think they got a lot out of it. And I, we got really some superb questions. But how do you how do you feel? What was your perspective in terms of what the students got out of it? I mean, they from my perspective, they, they seem really, really engaged. Absolutely, they were engaged. Um, they, all of them gave me great feedback after the project ended and after you and, and uh, Tyler left the class. Um, they really enjoyed it, right? They, and they, you know, like last year, for example, the reason we had to get back because students last year made such a, uh, you know, uh, a big deal about it and how much they enjoyed it. You know, we had to have you back. So this year it was the same. 
Uh, they all enjoyed it. They all were engaged and, and, and they got they got a chance to see what it was like to be elected officials having to make difficult decisions. And for them, that was really important because they tend, like all of us, right, we tend to take for granted what political officials are doing, you know, behind the scenes. And, 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 and we tend to take for granted the decisions, how difficult it is for them to make those, those decisions and how those decisions have those physical impacts, if you will, on how we all operate in society. So they really enjoyed it. They got a lot, of, a lot out of it. And as Phil can tell you, uh, a lot of them were super engaged in it to the point where we had to say, hey, you know, you only have two minutes. You can't ponder over this issue all day. So they really enjoyed it. It's one of the few opportunities, too, that people have to grapple with a, a unique concept of trillions of dollars. You know, you people know what a million dollars is, right? You have a chance, hopefully, in your lifetime to earn a million dollars. So you can explain to someone what a billion dollars is. But once you get to a trillion dollars, a lot of people think, oh, that's just the next level up, you know, that, but, but it's exponential, right? I mean, it's just so right. huge. So when they get their hands dirty and they, and they actually crafted, Bob, you'll appreciate this, some of their uh, results uh, were in the two to $3 trillion range in savings over 10 years. In other words, if you look at, you know, where the deficit's going to be over the next 10 years, they were able to make it better, bring down the deficit by, by a significant margin to, you know, two or $3 trillion. And then after the exercise is over, we asked them a series of questions. Uh, we asked them, you know, what, what was the experience like? Obviously, did you learn a lot? Was it acrimonious? Was it harmonious? Uh, and they do get in some very, very challenging debates, I think. But the funniest question that usually gets a lot of chuckles and the one that I enjoy the most is uh, if you really were a member of Congress and you just assembled this 10-year budget, do you think you'll be reelected? <laughs> and some of them just crack up immediately. And then others will say, oh, no, 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 I'm, don't even bother, right? I'm not even going to not even going to register for re-election, <laughs> basically. Well, uh, uh, let me just uh, um, interrupt just, just to say this is Facing the Future. I'm your host, Bob Bixby, and I'm talking with Phil Smith, the National Field Director of the Concord Coalition, and Jace Farmer, Assistant Professor at the School of Public Policy and Leadership at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Uh, and we're discussing public engagement on public finance. You know, I think it is, uh, uh, it's something that, it's, it's always a challenge to make the budget, any budget, whether it's state, local, um, uh, or the federal budget, interesting uh, for, for people. And we show charts, and I think our charts are pretty good, but, uh, you know, you can you can you can fall asleep, but uh, you can you can drift off. Uh, I I do think the uh, it's the engagement level here, and um, you know, one of the things, and I'd be interested in get uh, uh, Jace's view on this is, you know, with the students, um, anybody can balance the budget by themselves, or you know, that's that's fairly easy. You can learn something by going through a bunch of budget options, but if you don't have to, it's, it's a different thing if you're looking across the table from somebody who has a different perspective than you. And uh, to me, that's one of the major learning objectives of, of the exercise. Um, do you find that people really 
not just argue about the numbers, but but get into the values. I mean, what is this something that the federal government should be doing or not doing or doing it this way? Yes, absolutely. So first of all, I'll, I'll, I'll start by answering your question by saying that the title of your exercise is properly named, right? Principles and priorities. And so as students get into this exercise and they start deliberating over the decisions, a lot of times they're having to balance their principles with the priorities of, of the nation. Um, and, and Phil can, can speak to this also, but there was one student in our Saturday session uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, he really got up in arms about, was it funding Amtrak, I believe it was? That's right, uh, that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, he was really, I forget exactly what the issues were, but he really had a, an issue with putting money towards funding funding Amtrak, where other students were like, well, this is an important issue, we need to fund it. So to answer your question, uh, a lot of times students have to really balance what's needed with what their personal values are. And I believe that this is a good learning experience for them to understand what elected officials and decision makers in general have to deal with, right? You have to put it, put aside your personal beliefs and personal values and focus on the priorities of the greater good of society. So, um, so no, so they really got into it from that perspective of, of learning how to balance their, their own personal feelings with what's needed. It's interesting to me, uh, Jess, you brought up uh, the, the Amtrak issue, which is one of the options in the exercise, uh, whether to keep federal subsidies for Amtrak or to eliminate them. And, you know, depending on what region of the country you're in, these options uh, have varying degrees of support. For example, uh, I've run this exercise down in the central coast of Florida around Cocoa Beach before, and they get really nervous when you start talking about uh, limiting NASA funding, right, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so forth. But I also find it interesting that some of the most passionate debates from your students, and this is reflective of others as well, are on what we would consider actually smaller issues. So, Bob, one of the interesting things that I found in our UNLV Principles and Priorities budget exercise was after the students assembled their, their own budget, which means they did more than any recent president or recent Congress has been able to do, right? They've actually put together a federal budget plan. I think they really did understand uh, the difference between billions and trillions at that point. So that was the perfect time to switch gears. And we gave them the Concord Coalition chart talk on the current budget situation. So we were able to dive in to this past year of COVID spending, right? The emergency spending we've been doing. And they had lots of good questions about that, but I think it gave them a better understanding of where we are. And they also understand that this was an emergency year, right? They understand that it's one thing to have emergency level deficits in a year of emergency. It's another thing when, when we showed them the projections and how seven, eight, nine years from now, we're gonna be having emergency level deficits without the emergency. And, I, and Chase, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think that kind of was a point that that got hammered home to them. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, they, you know, g given how things have played out over the last year, you know, students have, our students out here especially have been really paying, paying attention to Washington, right? And one of the things I really appreciate about this exercise is that it, it brings Washington home to students who normally are disconnected from Washington and federal issues. So, you know, given COVID and, and given, you know, the, the CARES Act and all of those federal issues and how things are, are starting to hit home federally for our students, 
this year's exercise, I believe, uh, really resonated with them and, and it allowed them to be, I feel like, more thoughtful and, and how they approach some of these federal decisions and, and how they deliberate, deliber deliberate over it. Because again, COVID um, gave us a perspective that we normally would not have had. You know, in most instances, yeah. as I said, you know, the federal government out here seems to be somewhat of an afterthought, right? Which is, again, why I really love this, this exercise because it really brings home to our students how important, uh, you know, federal issues are. Yeah, you've had some uh, real world experience working with local officials and developing a budget. Do they, um, in your experience, I mean, do they think about in any systematic way public input? So the short answer would be no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the students, that is, they, they uh, generally don't. We have to remind them. So again, I, I really love how how Phil goes back at the end of the exercise and asks them, would you be reelected? You know? <laughs> um, because as they are making these decisions, they aren't really thinking about running for public office, which well, on the one hand, this, 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 this uh, exercise gives them the experience of what it takes to make decisions about how, how you have to balance your priorities and your principles and understand the various federal issues. But on the other hand, um, they, they don't have the political pressures that a real life public official would have. So, so it's easy to go in and, and as Phil said, for them to go in and just basically balance the federal budget that no congressperson have, have been able to do in decades, right? Um, but if they were under the political pressure and, and really were considering the public's input, I believe that some of these decisions would not be happening in the way in the classroom that we are seeing that happen. Phil, we're gonna be wrapping up this segment. Any uh, final uh, uh, words of wisdom on- Well, on, I just uh, wanna thank Jace, you know, going and traveling, hopefully I'll be able to travel in person uh, to the all important state of Nevada uh, sometime soon, but it's always a pleasure to spend time with you and your students. Uh, please tell your students hello for me and thank them again. I think they, uh, by participating in the budget exercise, uh, I wish I could take them all up to Washington and uh, use them as examples of how to move forward, not only on how to do the math, it is, you know, the problem is the problem, uh, but also on how to get along with each other, because that was another thing that I saw um, uh, there, you know, there was challenging debate, but it wasn't acrimonious. And uh, we had CNN viewer, viewers sitting right across the table from Fox viewers and, and coming together in groups uh, to do something. And that gives me hope for our very polarized society today. So, so thank you, Jace, uh, for you and your students. And we look forward to working with you again at UNLV. No, thank you, Phil. And I, I really, uh, we as a department here at UNLV and, and the School of Public Policy and Leadership, we really enjoy having you guys come out and, and uh, deliver this exercise. It has, it's really been uh, a, a great experience for all of our students every time they've, they've engaged in it. Uh, Phil, it's always a pleasure to have you out here and we hope to get you back out here live again. Uh, <laughs> I enjoy uh, us sitting out having lunch together. Um, so next time we have to do that. Um, but no, we really, I think, I think what we have is a really good partnership, um, you know, between us and, and, uh, and, and, and the Concord Coalition. And uh, we're hoping to keep that going on because again, our students really are getting a lot, not only do are they enjoying it, but they are learning something from it. And that's, that's what's most important. Um, 
And so, uh, and like you, you know, you were saying you wish you could bring them, bring them to Washington. Uh, we may have to work on some kind of plan for that uh, to get them to Washington and and and, and participate in this exercise. Uh, I think that would be really good. You know, I should I should mention that because uh, we we haven't we've been talking about doing the exercise. Technologically, it's been um, challenging this year, but we haven't actually been doing it virtually. And I, I have to hand that to the uh, Phil and. Tyler Sweeney of the uh, Concord Coalition staff and being able to pull that off because we thought that we were going to be shut down just like a lot of uh, uh, any other business or entity that relies on face-to-face, person-to-person contact, uh, that our budget exercise would be constrained. And, um, you know, it's not quite the same experience doing it virtually. I still want to get back to doing it uh, in person, but um, we have been able to do it uh, quite remarkably. Uh, and actually, you you were quite instrumental in, in helping us experiment with that. You were the, the first one that uh, uh, your class we, we used as the guinea pigs for that, and it worked really well. And we thought, hey, we can do this, and we can tell other people we can do it. So we've been doing uh, uh, some more. So uh, thank you very much for that. And, and uh, what... Uh, what what uh, this is a case where what happens in Vegas did not stay in Vegas, and <laughs> we uh, have been using it nationwide. Thanks for listening. This is Facing the Future. I'm Bob Bixby. I've been talking with Phil Smith, the National Field Director of the Concord Coalition, and Jace Farmer, Assistant Professor at the School of Public Policy uh, at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And we've been discussing public engagement on public budgets. Tune in again next week for another episode of Facing the Future.